0: So a boy went to camp, and he loved it. He loved camp. He loved the chapel times. He loved the singing. He loved the boy-girl stuff. He loved the food. He loved the recreation. At nighttime, when chapel time came, and he heard the messages, his heart was really moved. It stirred something deep within him. And, of course, on Friday night, there was that long walk to the bonfire. They did it every year. And this boy would walk to that bonfire, and he would give a testimony about what God had been teaching him that week. And he would resolve that he was going to do better next year. He would throw his stick in the fire, or he would throw his pine cone in the fire, and he would think to himself, last year wasn't my best year, but I'm going to do better this year. And then he would think about that. He would throw his, and then that next year would go by, and he'd come to camp again, and it was like he had a very similar experience. Great experience at camp and a real stirring in his heart and a little disappointment that he hadn't really lived up to what he'd hoped to live up to last year, but there was that bonfire, and he would go to that bonfire again. He would throw his cone in the bonfire, and he would pray and ask God to help him. He did it year after year. You know anybody like that? I speak at camps you know that and this summer we're doing a series of messages called between the fires and so every week I'm wearing a camp shirt I spoke at Patmos on Kelly's Island a couple of weeks ago so I have my Patmos shirt on this week you can wear your camp shirt if you want to I have special shirts from different camps that our church supports we got students that went to SELA last week going this week to Sela, pray for them you know what they're gonna do at the end of the week right it's going to be a bonfire, and they're going to walk. They're going to take that long, quiet walk out to a bonfire, and they're going, to, they're going to throw their stick in, or they're going to stand a safe distance from the fire, and they're going to pray, just like that boy did. Kids come up to me often after we hit camp, and they go, man, this has been so good. I feel so close to God. I feel like I have a fire burning inside of me. How do I keep that fire going till next year? One of the camps where I speak, the chapels are two chapels and each of them have a fireplace on both sides of the pulpit. So when you preach, you preach between the fires. When the kids come to me and they ask me, how do I keep my campfire burning until next year? I've taken that question real seriously. How do you help a kid who has a passion for God, who has a hunger for God, who's learned some things about God, maybe a very simple initial experience in the things of God. How do you help him keep his campfire burning until the next year? It's not just a kid thing, really, is it? And so I thought, if you would allow me, I, I get to speak at five camps this summer. I'm taking my vacations and outside speaking to speak at camp. I'm coming back here to preach to you, <laughs> weekend so, so that 's going to be an interesting experience for you and uh, and, I, and I thought it would be great this summer if we would think about how do we keep a fire of faith for God burning for all of our life, what are the elements that would help us keep the fire of faith burning for all of our life and so that 's what I want to talk to you about my son kyle he he did a video project a few years ago on Instagram what he did was he has three boys, and, and he did a, a daily video on stuff boys should know how to do, which was really cool. It was a one-minute video every day, 365 days. You can still see it online. Um, it, was, it was really neat, because every day I would look to see what he said, and a lot of the times, maybe even most of the time, he would say something I taught him. He, you know, he'd say, now, boys, when you go into a cemetery, this is how you conduct yourself. And I thought, I remember... My grandfather teaching my dad, my dad taught me, I taught him, he's teaching his, boy. that's cool. But one day, he showed up with an apparatus I had never seen before. And he's just like, I should have brought one. Have you guys ever seen a charcoal chimney? No. Seriously, charcoal chimney? Y'all are better than this. Uh, you can buy this thing and it's like uh, metal and you put the charcoal in it and you put a little paper underneath it. I should have demonstrated this today. And you start it, and it gets the charcoal ready. And when I was a kid, when I was a young dad, I decided I was going to, whenever I would cook out, I would try to get, what I would do is I would just take the briquettes, put them in there. I just did this occasionally. Wasn't that really awful at this, Lewis? And then, and I would just, I would just take that lighter fluid. I'm just soaking (laughs) lighter fluid, light it, which is pretty impressive. Then start cooking hamburgers, which means you're going to have hamburgers that aren't cooked that taste like. Lighter fluid. And uh, bad, like lighter fluid. You're supposed to wait till the coal's are ready. Well, the chimney is an apparatus that helps you get your fire going. And my son was doing a video on that. I called him and said, where did you learn that? I didn't teach you that. That's something I didn't know. Getting a fire started is the first step in having a fire that lasts all your life. I hope you just remember this. What, this message is called Building a Good Fire. Because the way we want to start, if we're going to have a lifelong passion for God, a lifelong fire burning in our heart for God, is we have to start where Jesus said we want to start, and that is we must be born again. We must know that we have genuine salvation. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, I should have skipped this week. I'm a Christian. And it's like, no, 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 because this should never get old to us. And when we think about all the beautiful facets of what it means to be born again, it has to stir our heart to live for God. So it will help you and stimulate your spiritual life just to go over what's already true about you. But there's something else. Maybe this isn't true about you. Maybe you aren't genuinely saved. It is possible to be a churchgoer, a church member, a church officer. It's possible to be religious, a good person, a decent person. And really not be born again so it might be good for us just to in the scriptures say that we should examine ourselves to see if our faith is genuine if our conversion is genuine so it's that but do you remember when you were at camp you used to sing this little song if you were born like I was in the late 50s or 60s you could sing this with me it only takes a spark to get a fight remember that lame camp song that was kind of kind of lame. You liked it, sorry. And 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 that's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you want to sing. It's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. That's the name of the song. You want to pass. That was true. If you've experienced God's love, you want to pass it on. That's true. And so this is why all Christians should pay attention today when we talk about genuine conversion because we want to be good at gospel conversation because we want to be ready to pass the faith on to other people and we can and there are people not everybody that are like blueberries ripe for the picking they're hungry they're eager they're ready they're needy they're broken and they know it but they don't have anybody to tell them and the better you get at understanding and being able to verbally communicate about salvation and the better you are at building a team that kind of teams up to in order to do that the more fulfilling it's it's a powerfully fulfilling thing and you might even take that serving arowana this fall you might decide as we get our our uh, sunday school going back in the fall, you might decide that you're going to invest in the lives of some little ones in making the gospel plain to them. What a wonderful opportunity that would be. There might be some little kid in your neighborhood, some older person in your neighborhood. They don't, they don't have the gospel. They don't know the gospel. And you want to be good. So this is, this is why we want to be really good at this. We want to be able to build this, this fire of faith. So, so John chapter three, Jesus is talking to a religious leader. You know the story. His name is Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee. So he's a highly trained, very devoted, very committed, very religious, very sincere. He's coming to Jesus by night. And he says, I've, you know, he's observed Jesus and he knows there's got to be something about him that's supernatural. He's got something going on. You must come from God, you know, he says. And you'll notice that what it says here in John chapter 3, as Pete read to us, this was, man was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He comes to Jesus by night. You know the story. He says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So he is a Pharisee, a religious Jewish leader, who recognizes that Jesus came from God. He sees the supernatural nature of what Jesus does. And he says, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus says to this religious leader is that there's a thing that is essential here to to go to heaven, to, to avoid going to hell. No one goes to heaven who isn't born again. If you are not born again, you will not go to heaven. If you are not born again, you will go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said. He said it over and over again. This born again thing isn't for a few. It's You must be born again. But if i could take this liberty can, can i say it this way what this way when you look at this it says you you must be born again it's imperative but it would be legitimate for us to also read this in this sense you you can be born. if jesus is saying you must be born again he's saying you can be born again in other words jesus is telling nicodemus and jesus is telling us you can have spiritual life that is supernatural not just observing the supernatural nature of Jesus but experiencing it yourself you can if you want points this is point one you can be born again you can be converted you can be saved you can have Christ in you you must be born again now look at chapter 3 and in verse 3 Jesus says unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven look at verse 18 whoever believes in him is not condemned Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Look in verse 36 of the same chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Do you see where I got that idea? He says, "If you, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, but the wrath of God abides on you and you're condemned nobody gets to heaven unless they're born again sometimes we call it saved that's out of the many scriptures but in particular in the book of romans sometimes we'll call it converted jesus called it born again and this is a beautiful picture of life often when we talk about salvation maybe when we talk to children we use an appropriate scriptural uh phrase we say ask jesus in your heart the bible says five times that jesus is in you. It's frequently talked about the Holy Spirit living in you. So that's not wrong to say that, but it's five times in the Bible. 167 times, however, I'm sorry, 165 times, however, the Bible says not Jesus is in you, but it says you, if you're born again, are in him. 160, this is the way the Bible talks about salvation more than any other in the new testament in the epistles in particular the bible talks about this more than any other thing it says we are in christ this is a very powerful very meaningful thing this is what happens when you believe and you see that in john chapter 3 over and over again it says those who believe this doesn't mean just a kind of mental assent, but it means a trusting belief in what Je- who jesus is and what jesus did for our sins does that make sense so there are people who say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. They're not born again. There are people who say they do things in Jesus' name. They're not born again. Jesus warned about that in Matthew chapter 7. But the conversion experience, the born-again experience, the passing from death unto life, the Christ in me and me in Christ happens in a moment. And we'll get to that in a minute. It happens in a moment when you believe in, that Jesus died for your sins and you're born again, you're saved. That's where we've got to start. Uh, you got to look at your own life and your own heart and you have to... And, and you have to ex- examine your own heart, am I born again? Am I saved Are you saved? You're, you're a young boy, you're not too young to understand being born again. I have a guest here today, Pam, I want to call you Pam Bradley, James or I married them 31 years ago. Pam uh, was an outstanding girl in our youth group. JR is here with his boys. Thanks for coming today. They, uh, they live in Tennessee. He lives in Buchanan. Jerry lives in Buchanan. Mom and dad brought you to church and brought you to everything. You were, Pam, you were at everything. You were in the Harvester's Corral. You went on all the trips. You, I have pictures to prove it. You were there. Your parents faithfully, and here you are now, years later, you still look very young, but many years later, still love the Lord, still walking with the Lord, still have a passion for Christ. Started when, are you a young boy, a young girl, starting out in life? Can I tell you, this is where you want to begin? You make sure that you have eternal life. You may be just a a young boy in junior high school, somebody should, you should not only be able to give testimony that you are born again, but you should be able to explain to your friends how to be born again. If you can't do that, you should learn how to do that. You should ask your dad the teacher, you should ask your grandpa, Teach me, show me how to use my Bible to show somebody else how to be born again. You want to sing, it's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. So there's, you can't be born again. That was point number one. Here's the second thing. It's this is being born again is beyond religion, beyond religious learning, and beyond religious duties. The notes are online at the Betheljackson.org site if you want to see him and a couple other special things there. This is beyond religion. It's beyond religious learning. It's more than what people think of when they think of, oh yeah, he just turned over a new leaf, or oh, he became religious. He started going to church or he started being the kind of religion. No, no, no. We're talking about an inside out change that miraculous change that God does. This is the way. Jesus talks about it. Notice this in chapter three and verse one. Who is this guy that comes to Jesus? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. Was he a religious guy? Absolutely a religious guy. So yesterday I talked with a guy who was raised in a nice church. It was a church that catechized him. The things they said to him in the catechism were, were primarily things that were were true, good things. He wasn't saved until he got older and somebody got up in his business got in his face with the gospel and made it really super plain and he goes I mean I I got all this stuff that I learned but I'm not saved when he got saved his whole life changed his brother got saved, His whole lot, my dad, same way, lighting candles at church, confirmation, singing in the choir, got the catechism down. The catechism, much of it was just rich in biblical truth, but somehow, it met, but then somebody got in his face and said, are you born again? Are you saved? This is good, this is good language. We got it from Jesus. Are you born again? Are the people that you love born again? Are your neighbors born again? Are your kids and grandkids born again? Are they saved? This is better than religion. This is beyond religion. It's beyond religious learning. It's beyond religious duties. Or Jesus says to Nicodemus, You need to be born again, even though he's already a religious leader. Third thing, you must go beyond recognizing the supernatural nature of Jesus. It's beyond saying, Oh, Jesus is wonderful, or He's a great teacher, or, he's maybe, or maybe He's God. It's beyond that. It's actually experiencing the supernatural nature of Jesus yourself. Verse 2 This man came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Jesus is essentially saying to him, Well, that's not enough, Nicodemus. He abruptly says, Good for you. You need to be born again. It's essentially what Jesus is saying. You need to be, are you born again? Jesus knew he cuts out the chase. He knew he wasn't this is uh can i say this uh not all of us here have a baptist background i i have a baptist and my mom was saved in a bible church and my dad and got grown in a baptist church, so that's kind of like me every group of faithful christian denominations has its own strength one thing i'm super grateful for about baptist people is they're just so plain spoken about being saved so this is a thing you know that i think is a wonderful thing that we should retain Let's be really plain about how to be saved. Let's show that plainly to people so that they don't get confused in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a mess of religious stuff. And let's also learn from other denominations of people what we can learn from them, because we can. But let's remember, let's keep this. This is one thing we should keep. Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, you need to be more religious. Nicodemus was already a religious leader. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you just need more zeal. I imagine that Nicodemus was zealous. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you need to be more committed. Just a little more commitment from you. Nicodemus was really committed. He didn't say, Nicodemus, you need to be more diligent. Go back, try harder. Work harder at it. That's not what he said. He said, you need to be a new man. You need to be new. He said, you need to be born again. Here's a shocker. Even though it's incredibly important, Jesus didn't say, you need to go confess your sins. And nobody understands the new birth unless they understand their need for a Savior because they understand that their sins have condemned them. But that's not what he said to Nicodemus. He said, you need to be born again. And the emphasis in John's gospel is you need to believe in this powerful sense of converting belief. You need to be born again. That's interesting, isn't it? not just recognize the supernatural nature of jesus but experience it therefore if anyone is in christ the bible says paul said it in second corinthians five, seventeen. if anyone is in christ there's that phrase again he's a new creation the oldest passed away behold everything has become new that should be a really hopeful thing for us to hear when you're in christ everything's new spiritually number four it's god's work in you it's not your work for god it's not the strength of your faith it's not the strength of your belief it's not the quality of your belief it is the one that you believe in it is the work of god being born again is the work of god starting the fire it's the work of god in a mystery that people who have studied the bible very deeply don't fully are unable to fully understand or even agree on there is in the scriptures much that the scriptures have to say about god's initiative in our salvation it certainly is true nobody should ever say oh i i got saved without god's help that doesn't work like that we're born again by the holy spirit through the word of god there's a there's a there's an essential calling that we have there's so much to be said about that but this is the, the the critical matter notice what it says in verse five jesus says truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and of the spirit he cannot see the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit don't marvel that I say to you you must be born again and he, and he goes on to say it's not something that'll be alike for everybody or fully that you will fully understand but it's he, he's what he's saying is this has got to be a supernatural thing that God does It's God's work in you. I I believe the water and the Spirit is this in the Old Testament to reach back into the Old Testament for that symbol. It's it's continually a symbol of cleansing from sin, from our old sin. And the Spirit is like very clear in the book of John and throughout the New Testament that is through the Holy Spirit that God gives us life and abundant life. And so if you think but you're born again by water and the Spirit, you're cleansed from your old sins— and you're given new life by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a miraculous thing that happens. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not resolving to do better. It's a miraculous conversion to God by the Holy Spirit of God. And, there's a, and, it, and when a kid goes to camp, for instance, or when you today, you make a decision and you, you may have, you know, have a sense that you made the decision, that you may have a kind of a consciousness of your own will or your own mind or your own emotions, and those are things that God uses. But usually what happens is when, after people understand that they were miraculously converted, they look back and they recognize that God was at work in them. God was at work. And God may be at work in your life right now, in your heart, drawing you to himself in a powerful way like never before. And you could be, have the life of God in you. Love the things of God. Hate the things that are not of God. You're, this would change everything. It's a work of God. And, it, and it's not something that's going to go away when God does something. So I'm at camp years ago. I was a counselor, but I was only 14. So, you can imagine, I was probably not a very good counselor, but I was a counselor. I was sitting in the chapel and I looked over and a young boy named Kent went forward and he knelt at the altar and he started to pray. It was kind of an emotional thing. There was a lot of weeping and there was a lot of kind of carrying on going on, a lot of emotionalism, and there's some kind of mixed bag of teaching there. And I just wondered if he needed some counsel about how to be saved. And so, I went over and I knelt down next to him, and I started to talk to him. I realized he just needs somebody to explain salvation to him. So I explained salvation to Kent, which was cool. He prayed to receive Christ at camp. People often say, well, camp decisions are brief. They're emotional. They don't really last. But I'm telling this story, of course, because Kent called me a few years ago. He's got a Ph.D. in Christian education now. And he said to me, I'm doing a paper. You can read it online. Kent Kessler, Dr. Kent Kessler. He said, I'm doing a paper right now on conversion, and I'm telling the story about how you led me to the Lord in Greenfield, Ohio, in the tabernacle at the Christian Union campgrounds. You can lead a kid to the Lord in Awana if you worked in Awana. I'm just saying. You can lead a child to the Lord... I know many of you have given, you've given to the Opera's Christmas Child, you worked out at Youth Haven, many, many hours of work out at Youth Haven, our church is really invested there, bless you for that, You're, this is a good work when you do that. We got kids going to, that went to Sela last week and weeks before, we got them going this week, you give and you pray for Camp Seela. please keep doing that, that's a good work, it's a humble camp, but God goes there. You're going to hear testimonies of people whose lives were changed, can I tell you what we're going to do? In the end of this series, instead of me preaching, you're going to talk. We're going to have a campfire right here. We're going to build a fire right there. Well, not really. I'm just kidding. We're going to have a fire-like thing. And then you are going to share your testimony about how you kept the fire, how God helped keep the fire of faith going. You're going to do the talking. I want to hear your testimony. Already, I'm hearing testimonies from people about how God has been. That's what we're going to do on the last Sunday of this. There's a fifth thing. It's like natural birth in the sense that being born again happens in a moment. It happens the moment you believe. Look at chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. This is dear to us. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life for God. Have you ever heard this verse before? For God, this is a really good one, you should memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish die and go to hell but have everlasting life it's, it's simple and plain and clear jesus made that so clear now you're either born again or you're not born again you're either under the mercy of god or you're under the wrath of god you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell that, there's no campfire without that this is how you start the fire you you throw yourself upon the lord you believe in jesus christ and then it says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world to send the world to hell but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There you have it. So salvation is, is instantaneous like birth. Salvation is instantaneous like, like marriage in a moment that you marry. It's like redemption from slavery, the Bible says. It's like rescue from death. It's like peace coming to a conflict. It's like being lost and then being found when i go to camp can i can i share you something i i've learned to do when i when i go to camp i will often talk to campers and will often say you don't think enough about your salvation what it is and then i will say those big words in the bible that like in romans three through say eight and especially three and four and five those huge words that you kind of skip over and you're not sure you understand them they have stories behind them. Do you all remember me telling you this? Those big words have stories behind them. And a story has characters, and it has plot, and it has tension, and it has a setting, and it has resolution. And when we think about these big words in the Bible, and let me, let me go over this. I'll often say there's, this, the, there's a setting of the courtroom, and the courtroom we're guilty before God. But when we believe that Jesus died for us, we're justified before God. So we're not guilty before God. There's the setting of the marketplace where you can buy and you can sell. You can buy and sell things, you can buy and sell people. Imagine that you're being sold in the marketplace. When you believe that Jesus died and rose again, died for your sins, then, like you were a slave in the marketplace, Jesus pays the ransom price for you and you're redeemed and you're set free. That's what happens when you're saved. There was the pagan temple where always people were trying to appease angry gods and there was no way to appease angry gods. People who don't believe the Bible who who, many of them who hate God will tell you enough about the Bible to condemn you, but they'll never tell you the good news about Jesus Christ. When comedians mock the Bible, when they mock the things of God, they never tell the good news. They, They distort the Bible, only tell part of the story. But we know that Jesus, when he died, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf that's called propitiation so there's justification redemption and propitiation then there's the counting house where you know the 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 accounts are are counted up and there's this word imputation god's righteousness when we believe that jesus died and rose again for our sins god's righteousness the righteousness of christ is imputed it's placed on our account his Our sin is placed on His account. That's imputation. These are wonderful things. That's in Romans, in chapter four. In Romans, chapter five, it says we need to be reconciled to God. The story behind that is a battlefield. We're at war with God. Imagine if you have an enemy, and your enemy is in is God. You're in the worst shape that you could ever possibly be in. But what if God is your friend? What if God? would come to your defense. What if you are, this is what the Bible says, reconciliation in Romans five. When we believe that Jesus died and rose again, when he died for our sins and rose again, we're reconciled to God and we're given a ministry of reconciliation. You wanna sing, it's fresh like spring. You wanna pass it on. You wanna tell other people you can be right with God. God can be your friend too. And then there's the town dump. And what is that we hear? The cry of a baby? on the town dump Christians would rescue babies from the town dump back then and they would bring them into their family and they would cherish them and they would give them of their wealth they would adopt them we have a little foster granddaughter her mom her our hannah hope if it's God's will they would be able to adopt her one day I watch their Instagram posts every day. She has new clothes every day. I'm serious. Somebody ought to follow behind her that's a little smaller and just pick up the used clothes. She had gold shoes on yesterday. I think they were real gold. Just kidding. Golden-like shoes. She's cherished. She's... she's sh- they want to share everything about them. They want to share their name. They want to share what they have. They want to share their teaching. They want to share their God. She's adopting adopted. Them. You, when you believe that Jesus died and rose again, you had a forever family. And what a wonderful family it is. It's a loving family. It's a large worldwide family. It's a wealthy, privileged family. Wealthy with the riches of Christ. And it's a virtuous family by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a very generous family family, isn't it? isn't it? Don't we just love it, Christina? Don't we just love talking about the generosity of God's people in sending missionaries around the world, in these initiatives that they take in, in camping or in, in missionary enterprise or in Christian education? There's a generous family that you're a part of, and there's a family with a rich history, and it's a forever family that will ever never end, and that is why the first and most important step leading to a lifelong fire is you got to make sure your salvation is genuine, that you are born again and if you will if you are born again the scriptures teach you will persevere listen john 10 my sheep hear my voice i know them they follow me i give them eternal life they will never perish no one will ever take them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand there's a security in it listen to philippians 1 6 once you're born again genuinely saved I'm sure that he who began a good work in you, Paul said to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. And then this, in Jude 24, is a benediction to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and forever. He is able to keep you from stumbling. This is not something you have to work up. This is not something you do. This is something God does in you So you read and you study and you meditate on what God did and what God said. And he's promised to give you assurance. Being born again is one thing. Having the assurance that you're born again may happen immediately or it may happen thereafter. The assurance of your salvation is also something that God will do. Listen, the Bible says that we're to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 15 says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. Don't you realize this about yourselves that that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So you want to test to see if you have genuine salvation? Again, Peter said it this way in a rich passage in 2 Peter, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep reading the context of that is amazing. And what the Bible says is this, it says primarily, you know, your mom isn't the one who gives you the assurance of your salvation, even though moms are wonderful to help us. And you don't have the assurance of your salvation just because you remember some experience you had. And you really don't even get the, 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 the assurance of salvation because you read 1 John and and examined your life to see if your life was like that, even though that's a really good thing to do, the assurance of salvation is also a special gift from God, the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself will bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So step number one is build that fire of faith and be sure that you're born again. You probably wonder, I'm sure you do, what happened to that boy? I happen to know. That boy that went to camp every year and confessed the same sins over and over again. That boy that was always distracted by girls and really seemed frivolous. That boy that, like, he never stopped talking. How could he possibly think he talks so much? (laughs) Yeah, you guessed it, that was me. I'm here to tell you that God heard my prayers. I know he did. I didn't realize it right away. I didn't even know it from year to year. I had to look back over my life and go, God really did hear the prayers of that boy. He really did hear the prayers of that boy. But there's a story behind that. As a matter of fact, I brought, I brought you a picture. Because 70 years ago, there was a camp. There's some people called the Rural Bible Mission. And they would go all throughout, they're still doing this, they'd go all throughout Michigan and they would start release time Bible classes in churches. And they found these two girls, Sue and and Jane, and they were just new converts. They'd gone to a vacation Bible school at Bertrand Bible Church, and they'd gotten saved. And they memorized some verses, and they went to the release time Bible classes. And so they picked them up on a bus, and they took them up to Gull Lake, to the Christian youth training camp of the rural Bible mission. My mother is in this picture. My aunt Sue is in this picture my my mom and my aunt sue if they were here today to tell you and they will share their testimonies on our last day they would tell you it wasn't something they did but that god heard the prayers of those little girls and he worked powerfully in their hearts and he stirred up a desire in their hearts to follow god and to serve god and to love god and now today 70 years later those two ladies have the fire of the faith burning in their hearts every bit as strong or stronger than when they were little girls riding that bus up there to Gull Lake. And you can too. I love thinking about it.